First Corinthians chapter uh, chapter fourteen. Sorry, chapter twelve. Before we go to chapter 14, I, I just wanted to open again with chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says to this church in Corinth, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul writes to a church, in fact, it's not a church that has been exposed to the spiritual gifts. It's a church that is actively using them, fighting about them, disagreeing with them. But he says, I want you to know what the gifts are. And as we continue to read in chapter 12, the reason we discover he wants them to know what the gifts are is because they are God-given for the benefit of the church, to build up the body of Christ. In fact, we saw last week that it is through the spiritual gifts that God's presence and activity is made manifest, made visible, becomes present, is active in your life. And like we saw last week, what we seek then as Christians is not some sort of encounter or experience, but participation in the body of Christ because that's where Christ functions. And so, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, God gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for ministry. And then he goes on a few verses later and he says, So that when each part of the body is working properly, the body builds itself up in love to full maturity. Okay. So that's what the spiritual gifts are for. We're going to take this week, next week, and the following week to look at a couple of particular gifts that are the most miraculous or the most mysterious or the most misunderstood. Okay. We're going to look uh, at, specifically today, the gifts of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Okay. But I wanted to remind you the goal of the series, and that's why we started in chapter 12. So the goal is twofold. One, that we would understand the spiritual gifts. Two, that we would use them in a way that build up one another so that the church is strengthened. Okay. Chapter 14. Now, before I read... What is the challenge of the game, Marco Polo? The challenge is the blindfolded person doesn't know where the other people are, right? But he has to find them. The challenge in preaching is the exact same. I might as well be up here in a blindfold when it comes to the issue of speaking in tongues and knowing where all you are in the room. Some of you are going, what in the world is speaking of tongues? It's tongues. You've just never heard of it. You have no reference for it at all. Others of you, it's a beneficial practice that you've engaged in quietly for years. Others, it may be a defining characteristic uh, that, that either defined the church you came from or split the church you came from. You may even have an understanding of this that has changed over the years and now you've flipped to one side of the issue or the other. Um, and all of that probably coexists in this room. Okay? 
And yet I'm going to talk to you all at the same time, just like that guy in the blindfold. And really the only difference is instead of waiting for you to say polo and using my echolocation to tune in on your location, I basically have to watch for the raise of an eyebrow or a confused expression, right? Or, or hopefully not, but somebody storming out of the room. The point is, um, this issue is one that is both confusing and controversial. And so my goals actually today are relatively limited, okay? One is to clear up some of the confusion. Not all of it, because there's a reason why we debate and dialogue about these things. It's because not all of it is totally clear. And two, to make sure that now and for the future, the gift of tongues remains a gift and not some sort of destructive force in our church. Okay. So, with that in mind, read with me. Um, I'll read aloud, just follow along. Chapter 14, and I want to read all the way through, verses, uh, through verse 25. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many kinds of languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. 
Now, let's just jump down and grab verses 39 and 40 as well. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. God, we just want to confess collectively, even where there may be some hesitation or some confusion, that we want all that you have for us, Lord. And that we want to be a full representation of the manifold grace of God. And so we want all the gifts that you have for us functioning and operating in the body of Christ. But we also want those gifts to do what you have given them for. We don't just want experience or evidence of our holiness. We don't just want uh, a way to escape the wrestlings of faith. Um, Lord, instead, what we want is maturity. We want to grow as a body to each and every one, till each and every one is unified in the faith and knows you deeply and fully. And so I pray, Lord, that as we look at this gift this morning, we would, um, we would have your help to move in that direction that we would come to a better understanding of the gifts you've given um, and that we would be able to employ them, not just responsibly, Lord, um, but, but also as you intended. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Two big challenges to understanding the gift of tongues. One is... The, mo- or the, the place where we find the most talking about the gifts, which we just read, these 25 verses, are not actually talking directly about tongues. If you want to answer the question, what is tongues? Paul never says, I'll tell you. He assumes in this whole passage, we know what he's talking about. And then the second problem with this text is that his concern here is not tongues is not a gift or that tongues is a bad gift. He's trying to restrain a community that has elevated it as being the best gift. And so, probably for most of us, that's not the direct application we need. It means that it leaves us kind of sifting through the sand of Paul's specific intention for the Corinthians to understand the underlying truths and apply them to our specific context. Okay, And so it's pretty clear when you look at this that Paul likes the gift of tongues. Why do I say that? First, he's already listed it in chapter 12 as one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. If it's a gift of God and it's given to the church, we can assume it's a good gift. Okay, two, he says himself, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Right? He doesn't say, I wish nobody spoke in tongues and then church would just be simpler. No, he, he thinks it's a good gift, one they could all benefit from. And then third, he says in the middle of the passage, you probably remembered me saying this aloud a few minutes ago, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay. So not only does he have the gift, he values it, he uses it. Okay. And so it's, it's a good gift. But before we can go any further, we have to ask, what is it? And to do so, we kind of have to do a little bit of detective work. I'm going to lay out the passages in advance without turning all of them. Some we'll turn to, but for the advantage for you to study further, the gift of tongues is primarily talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Okay. It's also potentially, and we'll return to this, referenced in the book of Romans, chapter 8, okay, when it talks about the Spirit speaking in words too deep for utterance. Okay. 
Uh, and then outside of the epistles, Romans and 1 Corinthians, we really only encounter it in the book of Acts. Okay? And so on Acts chapter 2, as these 120 disciples of Jesus are waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, the room is filled with a sound like a rushing wind, tongues of flame appear everyone, and all of them begin to speak in a language that they did not previously know. And a diverse amount of languages, so that when they go out and they speak publicly, a whole community of pilgrims who are in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost, from all over the Roman Empire, hear in their own language, these Galilean fishermen and their friends and family, speaking the wonders of God. Okay. And then we find it again um, in, in Acts chapter 10, in the house of Cornelius. When Peter is preaching the gospel and the Spirit comes upon the audience before he even gets to the altar call and they begin to speak in tongues. Okay. And then finally, one last time in Acts chapter 18, when Paul comes across some uh, disciples of John the Baptist in Ephesus who know that John the Baptist preached Jesus, who knows that Jesus died and resurrected, but have never heard of Pentecost. And he says, oh, well, this is the Holy Spirit, you need it, and they begin to speak in tongues. That's it. What I just read to you, those handful of references, and that's exactly what they are, they're not really explanations, they're references, they're a record of what happened, and not a teaching on these things. Those are the only places that the gift is mentioned. However, we can piece together a significant amount of understanding, and let's deal with the basics first. Very clearly, the gift of tongues is speaking in a tongue you do not actually know. When we see it for the first time in the book of Acts, it means speaking in another human tongue that you do not actually know. But because Paul here refers to various kinds of tongues in chapter 12, and then he refers in the opening of 1 Corinthians 13, which, remember, is a chapter on love, but is also a chapter about the spiritual gifts. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Okay? And so that broadens the category. Okay? In terms of records of actual people speaking in tongues, um, as you can imagine, there's been all sorts of recordings and research on these things. It is at least possible okay, that tongues as speaking another human language is a gift that God gives. At the very least, he did it in Acts chapter 2. We're not told in any other place that they're human tongues. Okay? But it also implies to presumably other languages, non-human languages, um, or, or even languages that only exist in the utterance itself. So that's what the gift is. But we can learn more than that. As we look at these passages, what we discover is consistently the gift of tongues is a way to speak to God. Okay? In fact, we saw that here in chapter 14. What does he say here in verse 2? The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Okay? It's just stated right there. If somebody prophesies... That's the contrast he uses here. They speak to the people. In fact, think of the prophets in the Old Testament. What is the key word of the prophet? How do you know somebody is operating in the prophetic gift in the Old Testament? Thus says the Lord. To who? To you. Okay. But tongues is a language that's used to address God. Okay. 
In fact, I think we can build on that because as we uh, continue on in the passage, it's pretty clear that this type of speaking to God falls under the confines of prayer. And in a sense, all speaking to God does. You know, you could make a distinction here between praise and prayer, but effectively, tongues is a way of praying. Okay? A way of praying in the Spirit. A way of praying beyond your own ability, as well as, as Paul makes clear here, beyond your own understanding. Okay. Now, here's where things get a little bit fuzzy. The reason it gets a little bit fuzzy is because we can build further than this. But we need to not make the mistake of limiting what is not limited in Scripture. Okay. When it says tongues are to God and not to man, that's an incredibly clear limitation. Who is the audience of tongues? God. You're speaking to God. Okay. But when we look at other passages, here's, here's what we find. First, notice verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue. Okay, right there, the word pray. But as we look in these other places, including those instances in Acts, we also see prayer language of diverse types. So in Acts chapter 2, it says that all of these people hear these Galileans speaking in their own tongue, and what are they doing? They are, uh, well, let's just take a look. I have a great appreciation for that old... Uh, reading rainbow sentence, you know, but don't take my word for it. <laughs> I like to show and not just tell. And so I want you to notice here in Acts chapter 2. Okay, and so first verse 4, these 120 disciples, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, a clear example of the gift of tongues. Okay. But notice what it says that they heard in verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues what? The mighty works of God. Okay. So what is it that they understand in their own language that they know these people don't speak? God's mighty works. They're praising God for his goodness. Probably it would read like the last few chapters of Job. Or like some of the Psalms, right? How marvelous are your works, O Lord. It's sentences like that. It's praise. Okay. Let's look at another example here in Acts chapter 10. The setting is very different. This is a Roman centurion and his household. Non-Jewish people, not familiar with the Old Testament, hearing the gospel of what Jesus has done for the first time. And the same way the Spirit comes upon them and they begin to speak in tongues and so notice what it says here. Sorry, I turned to 1 Corinthians. Okay, so uh, here, let's just pick up verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Why? Verse 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, could that be two things? Sure. But it also may be they recognized the speaking in the tongues was actually extolling God. Okay. Now, so what we see here is that it is, that it is praise, okay? that it is extolling God, that it is proclaiming the marvelous works of God. 
And when we return to uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, we see the same thing. We see that it is a prayer language used to worship God. But there's one more passage that I think... Well, let's, let's grab the one in 1 Corinthians first. Look with me at verse 16. 1 Corinthians 14. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Okay. So, so what, what is he talking about here? He's talking about as if somebody stood up right in this room and began speaking in tongues, and they are thanking God, just like we did before the service, just giving thanksgiving, but they're doing it in another language. Nobody else can say Amen. I, I'm thankful for that too because they don't understand the language. But what does that imply about the gift of tongues? That it can be used as an act of thanksgiving. Okay. Okay, so the last one. And this is the one that I would say is more debatable. And you'll see why in just a second. But last place we're going to turn is the book of Romans. And here in chapter 8. What's very clear in this passage is two things. One, this passage is talking about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of a Christian. Two, it's talking about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of a Christian in prayer. That's very clear. It may even be here that the way that the Holy Spirit operates in the life of a Christian's prayer life is through the gift of tongues. That's where it gets gets controversial. But look with me as it says here in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay. Notice two things here. One, this is a prayer language beyond your own ability. Very clear, right? It's giving utterance to things that you can't express on your own. Okay, and two, it's something that God receives and understands fully, right? Because he knows the heart of the Spirit. So it may be here what we're seeing is also the gift of speaking in tongues. Okay. If that's the case, then this seems to add to the list intercession, presenting needs that you have before God. Okay. All right, so I think that kind of rounds out what we're talking about. So the gift of tongues is not prophecy in another language. The gift of tongues is not evangelistic. In fact, Paul's evangelistic concerns say the gifts of tongues should probably stay home, right? He says, if unbelievers come in and they hear you speaking in another tongue, they're going to think you're out of your mind. Okay? That's an evangelistic concern. He says it's a bad witness to chaotically have everybody speaking in tongues without interpretation. And you go, but on Acts chapter 2, wasn't it evangelistic? In a sense it was to those who spoke the languages, but how did those who didn't speak any of those languages understand? Is everybody drunk? Mm -hmm. Right? That was the response to the uninitiated, to those who didn't speak the language. Okay, so, it is a language of prayer, and as we see here in Romans, even if this passage isn't talking about it, it's a good illustration of what we're talking about. If you're praying without your own understanding then the gift of the speaking in tongues is to be able to pray beyond your understanding. It's to express what you cannot express in your own language. 
or with your own mind. Okay. And you go, why would I ever need to do that? What I would suggest to you is that our ability to communicate, even in our own mind and even in our own prayers, is a restriction. It restrains us to speaking about things we know and understand. It restrains us uh, and even sometimes restrains our uh, emotions. That's why we talk about emotions that are what? Unexpressible. It holds us back in a way that the uh, gift of tongues allows us to go beyond. And again, Paul says this is a good gift, a God-given gift, and one that's for edification, for building up, for strengthening. The only thing that's unique about the gift of tongues is it's the only gift in the entire list that is for your own personal edification. Let me let you in on a secret. As somebody who has the gift of teaching, I can't teach myself. It doesn't work. I can't serve myself. I can. It's just never the gift of service. I can't help myself. Right? I can't encourage myself. But I can speak in tongues, and that is encouraging. And the question becomes, well, how can it be encouraging if your mind is not engaged? And what you need to remember is that you are not just a floating brain. You body, soul, and spirit, brain, heart, and body, however you want to devise the things, you're more than just your thoughts. And so you can be built up and edified and encouraged by by being able to express what is unexpressible. By being able to praise God beyond the confines of your own understanding. I have limited experience with the gift of tongues. The only place that I ever use it is when I am at the end of my rope. When I am desperate to speak to the Lord and I just cannot either find the words or find the faith or these types of things. I would hate to reduce the gift of tongues down to some sort of prayer autopilot. But it does function in that way. It allows me to navigate in worship in places that right now are out of my depths. And so when I'm devastated by the news of a situation going on that is horrible and I cannot understand, sometimes I pray in tongues. When I'm just overwhelmed with emotion and I just can't seem to praise God loud enough or with enough words, sometimes I'll use the gift of tongues. So, this is why the gift is valuable. Paul's big concern in 1 Corinthians is that that value is, by nature, limited. Now, I want to point out something to you that is easily missed in this passage. Paul had been talking about many, many gifts. Manifold gifts. Diversity of gifts. Many members, right? Now he just talks about two. The fact that he does that, just talks about tongues and prophecy, is clearly because of the context of who he's writing to, right? There is a prophecy party and a tongues party in the church. There are two groups who are vying for importance. And so he says, all right, let's talk about these two, okay? Nobody is debating the gift of helps, so he doesn't bring it up. Why is that important to remember? Because when Paul says here that prophecy is better, he's not saying prophecy is better than all the other gifts. And that can be a mistake. We'll talk about this more next week. That can be a mistake that's easily made. In the same way, when he says that tongues is not edifying in the body of Christ, his clear concern is not 
that tongues is, is the worst gift. Okay? It's just a dialed-in gift. It's a specific gift. In fact, his whole point of chapter 12 was, don't despise the variety of gifts and say, oh, because I just have you know, this gift, the gift of administration, I'm not really a significant part of the body. He would easily say the same thing about tongues. What he's trying to do here is address the fact that the Corinthian church had begun to regularly engage in speaking in tongues when the church was gathered and their motives on top of uh, Paul's general concern for that, his, their motives are also concerning. Because tongues has become evidence of the inner circle in the church. Speaking in tongues is something you do, probably not, I think the Corinthian church knows this too, not to people, but in front of people. And that's the danger of all the miraculous gifts. Okay. Because they're so clearly manifestations of something else that they can become not a spotlight on God, but a spotlight on ourselves. Okay. In fact, and it's amazing how providential the writing of Scripture is, this issue of the over-elevation of tongues appears every couple of hundred years in the church. And we experienced it in the last century in some of the Pentecostal movement, where tongues became the definitive gift, evidencing either that you're truly a Christian, because isn't that what we see in Acts chapter 2, and with the Gentiles, and uh, in Cornelius' house, and even the Ephesians, that they speak in tongues, and that's how they knew they were saved? And that's true in those three occasions. But never once do we see an individual conversion that manifests the presence of the Spirit by speaking in tongues. And I would suggest to you that Paul's clear concern in the book of Acts is to show that even these people can be saved and apart from the law, just through Jesus' work and receiving the gospel. right? And so the first time that people speak in tongues, guess what? They've been Christians for a while. They've been waiting for the promise. The promise is here. Tongues is part of that. But you can't make that a precedent because none of you have experienced a mighty rushing wind and a flame appearing above your head. And then what happens in Cornelius' house? What's so shaking about this? Here's a bunch of non-Jewish converts, Gentiles, uncircumcised. And they receive the gospel and they're full inheritors. And God makes that manifest not just to the Gentiles, but to the Jews who are watching who are shocked. Right? What does Peter say? If God's given them the same spirit he gave us, right? If we just had Pentecost 2.0 and they got it too, then what's to prohibit them from being baptized? What about the Ephesians in chapter 19? And this is the other way the, the gift of tongues is sometimes employed. Okay, all Christians have the spirit, but the second blessing, when you're empowered for ministry, when you finally have what you need to live the victorious Christian life, that is marked by the gift of tongues. And so you know you're a really in-gear Christian if you speak in tongues. And sometimes they'll they'll point to Acts chapter 19 when there's these guys in Ephesus. But do you remember the story? They're almost Christians, right? They, They have a partial understanding. They're disciples of John. They know that John said Jesus is the Messiah. They know the Messiah died and raised again. But they don't know anything about Pentecost. Now the problem is, when we hear this story, when we think about these things, we think of the Holy Spirit as a secondary part in general. 
Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, that's the gospel. Oh, and he also gave the Holy Spirit. I would suggest we go wrong right there. Pentecost is a part of salvation. It's tied together. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, right? It's part of it. And when Peter preaches, he says, what we've received today today is what Jesus has accomplished, right? It's all tied together, okay? But more importantly, what we actually see in that handful of John's disciples in Ephesus is people who are uh, behind on the times, if you will. They don't realize that the time of Joel that Peter talks about has arrived, where the Spirit is available to everyone. They still are relating to God through the nation of Israel, through the law, through the temple, through all these things. They know Jesus is the Messiah, but they don't realize that the veil in the temple has been torn. They don't realize that the Spirit has been poured out. And so they're not a very good example either. And most importantly, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 12, in a rhetorical question, do all speak in tongues? And the implied answer, like all the other ones in the list, is no. And so this cannot be the seal, either of the fact that you know Jesus Christ, nor can it be the seal that you really know Jesus Christ. It can't be evidence that you are part of the initiated who have received these types of things. Now that being said, we also need to press against this idea that says, once you're saved, you have everything you need and there's nothing more for you. I believe in a second blessing and a third and a fourth and a fifth. I believe that there is always the possibility that God has more for you. If not, then why does Paul tell people who he's already said, God's given you gifts and made you the body already, why does he say, earnestly desire the gifts? Because there's more. Okay. And so let me say very clearly, you should not feel like a second-class Christian because you don't have the gift of tongues. But let me also say, if you desire it, it's available. Ask for it. It doesn't guarantee that you'll receive it. As we saw, the Spirit gives as He wills. Now, I want to point to one last thing, and so far I've stuck very close to the simple understanding of the text. A lot of the debates we have about the gift of tongues go beyond the text and make make obvious to the interpreters what is not obvious in the Scriptures. And draw lines that the scriptures doesn't draw. Or draw about implications. I'll just give you one illustration. I told you that clearly Paul says here not everybody speaks in tongues. There are Pentecostal believers who say, well, they do the first time. They just don't have the gift of tongues. right? And so they say, this here is talking about the gift of tongues. But the manifestation of tongues we see in Acts is different. Which is a convenient way to interpret the scriptures through what they already believe. What I've tried to do to this point is just start at the scriptures and piece together what we can know for sure. However, I want to add just one more layer that I think fits Paul's mindset. Okay. And I'm still going to draw biblical evidence. I'm just not as fully convinced. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. But twice in these chapters, 12, 13, and 14, Paul seems to suggest that tongues is a particularly good gift for new believers and isn't as valuable to the mature. I'll show you what I mean. The first is right here in chapter 14. Okay. Verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, in the church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And then he says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. 
Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the weird thing about that verse is when you read it just in the context, you go, what are we talking about? What is his concern here? In fact, this is the only place in all three chapters that he mentions the idea of evil. He says, you should be innocent in evil, but in your thinking be mature. I want you to notice how similar the language of the two verses I just read, 19 and 20 are, to what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Okay. Now, again, remember that the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is really about the gifts. And listen for the gifts. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Okay, then what I want you to notice is what he does next is he takes those three uh, gifts again, knowledge, tongues, and prophecy, but he takes them in the reverse order. So what does he say next? For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect has come, the partial will pass away. And then notice verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I would suggest to you that the idea of speaking childishly there is talking about tongues. Okay. And he's making a simple comparison, which is that a two-year-old babbles and we don't understand it. Okay. But he's also making a more significant comparison. A fully perfected Christian living in heaven in the very presence of God will not need to speak in tongues. And so when you take that and you go back to the verses in, in chapter 14, and he says, Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And then says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. I think he's referencing back to what he said in 1 Corinthians 13. Okay. At the very least, and I can say this with confidence, Paul believes that even the gift of tongues is not sufficient for your private worship. And I'll show you how I know that. Go back to what he says in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Now, if you're familiar with this passage and you read that, you go, right, so that they can share it in public and then interpret it. But don't rush things. Notice his first reason, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Does he say, my spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful? No, he says there's a limitation on tongues in general, which is that it doesn't engage your mind. That without the gift of interpretation, you don't even know what you're praying. Okay. In fact, notice how he continues. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. What does he say? He's saying if you spent all of your prayer life just praying in tongues, you would be a deficient Christian. Okay. It's a gift. It's beneficial. It's especially beneficial for those who don't know how to pray. And if you can remember back when you first became a Christian, that was you. And Paul clearly speaks in tongues as a mature apostle who's walked with Jesus for decades by the time he writes 1 Corinthians. He still does it. But it's not sufficient for all of life. Okay. And so what I would suggest is, whether you think of it in this life alone versus the perfection of heaven, or you see it progressively as you grow as a Christian, the need for the gift of tongues decreases. And I think Paul is just lightly 
and gently laying out that point here because for the Corinthians, speaking in tongues is the pinnacle. And he's saying it's training wheels. There's more for you. Don't stop here. Keep going. So that leads me to two exhortations. Again, if you've been walking with the Lord for years and years, longer than I have, and you've never spoken in tongues, don't sweat it. It doesn't say anything about you. In fact, it doesn't, those who do speak in tongues, it doesn't say anything about their maturity at all. And two, if you're a new believer, if you haven't been a Christian very long, if you feel like you're tapping out on your ability to pray, Again, ask for the gift of tongues. It's a good gift. It's valuable, especially for new Christians. And I've listened and read lots of reports of people who have the gift of tongues. And it is especially that category that is the most vocal about its value. In fact, I've talked with people who say, you know, when I first got saved, I spoke in tongues all the time. And I still do occasionally, but dot, dot, dot. Okay? Now again moving behind the curtain of what's clear and obvious here. And there's plenty of room to disagree on that. But at the very least, the gift of tongues isn't sufficient for your private life with Jesus. And it's not qualified for the public life of the church at all. Now it does say here that interpretation makes that gift accessible. And the reason is very obvious. Because then other people can benefit from it. And so if it ever happens, and it sometimes does, that somebody is visiting our church who has the gift of tongues and isn't familiar with the way we do things here and stands up in the middle of service and, and speaks out in the tongue, we're going to honor that. We're going to honor that by stopping and saying, all right, the Bible tells us that when tongues is used in the presence of uh, the body, that we need to pray for interpretation. So we're going to stop, we're going to pray. And if we don't receive the interpretation... We're going to say, the scriptures say, when an interpreter isn't present, that the gift of tongues should be kept privately, and we'd encourage you to pray to yourself. After that, we're going to pull them aside and say, hey, the full manifestation of the gifts of God includes the preaching of the sermon, includes the reading of a psalm. We're not going to allow the Spirit to interrupt himself. Things are going to be done decently and in order. And so there are places, these places, where you can engage in the gift of tongues, and we would encourage you to do so. But again, listen to the orientation of these closing verses. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do you hear how he handles those two things differently? Why? Is it because prophecy is the best gift of all? As we'll see next week. No, it's a good gift. But he could easily say earnestly desire to prophesy or to serve or to teach or to uh, exhort or to encourage. The distinction here is... Desire the gifts that build up the body. Especially when we're gathered. Okay. One of the things that I would suggest, suggest is that you come to church prepared to be used. Not just to receive. And like we talked about last week, when we look at the gifts as a whole, we see gifts that have been codified into office, like pastor or teacher or evangelist. We see gifts that seem to be continuously and given for the body of Christ. When somebody says, I think I have the gift of giving. And we also see spontaneous just happenings that are just encounters of the Spirit that don't have that. Okay. 
And so when you come to church, maybe God's going to give you the gift of encouragement. It's just going to be a small one-off gift for somebody in the room. You won't know unless you're open to it. You won't know unless you say, all right, God, whatever gifts you have for me to share with the church, to have the heart of Paul, who in Romans 1 says, I long to come to Rome so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift and so that I also may be built up by the gifts that you have. Right? He knows that that can't happen in a letter. That's something that needs to be in person. Okay. But also, recognize that God wants you to grow in your private life, in your prayer life, in your time of just worship and praise in Him. And if you are interested in the gift, ask. And again, I can't tell you what's going to happen next because I'm not the one who sends the gifts. But I did want to just share with you one story. I have a friend, and his personal belief, because of the, um, because of the strength and encouragement he received from John MacArthur in particular, was that everything we're reading in here is past tense. Okay. That all of the spiritual gifts were for the original generation of the apostles and then passed away because we have the Bible now, so we don't need it. Okay. But he was a good sport. And so one occasion, we were having a worship night just like we had last Sunday and like we'll have next Sunday. And he came forward to receive prayer and he just quietly prayed to himself, God, I want everything you have for me. And he began to speak in tongues. Even though he believed it was not a gift that was available today. And I know some of us are so skeptical or so comfortable with normal Christianity that we just, we just don't believe stuff like that happens, but it does. Okay. My experience was very different. I'd sat at that same altar on my knees so many times, open to whatever God would do, and I'd prayed regularly for the gift of tongues. And I'd never experienced it. And I was a young enough Christian that I didn't have what I just told you this morning. And I always felt bad about not having that gift. And then one time I was taking a bath, which is literally where I do all of my prep for sermons. If you didn't know <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's private. Nobody invades your privacy. It's quiet. It's comfortable. So I do a lot of prayer in the tub. <laughs> But one of those occasions, without really thinking about it, I just began to speak in tongues. And I rejoiced in the gift. I still rejoice in it. But it's not a huge part of my life. And if I had to choose, I'd choose with Paul. I'd rather teach you five words from the scripture than speak in tongues for miles and miles. And the reason is because it is better to give than to receive. The reason is because God has designed you as part of the body to have purpose and a place. And tongues can assist in that because if you're built up at home, you come to church built up, and that's great. But I promise you, God has more for you. Let's pray. Father, I am convinced that we need the gift of tongues. I'm convinced that even if we don't understand it or have not experienced it or even witnessed it, we should rejoice in it and thank you for giving such a good gift. I'm also convinced there are people in this room, Lord, who you are stirring to ask, not just for the gift of tongues, but for whatever gifts you want to give. People who are stirred and going, I feel like I've been put in this place and I am not equipped.
And so, God, I pray that you would just hear our prayers this morning. That, again, we want all that you have for us so that we may accomplish the purpose that you've given us. And we thank you that just as Jesus promised, you have not left us as orphans. You have not disconnected us from the presence of God because Jesus has left, but you have sent a helper to be in us, to work in us and through us, to partner with us in our prayers and in our ministry. And we want to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit. But we also know, Lord, that these things can be abused, that they can become obsessions, that they can lead to division, and that they can spoil their entire purpose. And I pray that you'd continue to protect us from that. I pray, Lord, that our goal would be love and not experience. And that whatever experiences you give, whatever way you equip us, we would rejoice in the part we play because you have made us a part of this family. And you have called us to a role. And we can trust that the role is perfect for us and perfect for the church that we serve. Thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this time together and even for this morning, Lord, in the rest of the service and as we talk afterward, Lord, I pray that the gifts would be operating, that your body would be functioning to build one another up in love as you have designed. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.